went down a path of uh, family and domestic violence. The help and support that I received from so many different services and people just really inspired me to step into that same field. I could see that was happening a lot in the Indigenous community, um, so there's a real passion there to help other young women and children out there. On this episode of Listen, Learn, Respect, we're going to cover two Closing the Gap targets. Number six, students reach their full potential through further education pathways. And number seven, youth are engaged in employment and education. We're also going to hear from a remarkable woman who overcame enormous challenges to turn her situation around. She then dedicated her life to help and inspire others to do the same. While Gunai Kurnai woman Tanya McDonald was studying Diploma of Community Services at TAFE, she left a domestic violence situation and became a single mum of four. At the same time, she also worked as a paralegal at a local law firm, helping other women through family violence issues. In 2019, she was awarded Koori Student of the Year at the Victorian Training Awards for her perseverance, strength, community advocacy and encouragement of other Indigenous people to further their education. These days, Tanya MacDonald is a lecturer in children's health and community at Charles Darwin University in Alice Springs. She's also related to Archie Roach and Banjo Patterson. Thank you so much for joining us, Tanya. No worries. Thanks for having me. So you're not originally from Alice Springs, are you? Can you tell us a little bit more about your mob and where you're from? Yeah, so um, I've been based pretty much all my life down at southwest Victoria. Um, so uh, my mob, so my mother's originally sort of from the Lake Ties area. Uh, it's where she met my um, father and then shifted closer to um, the Framlingham Mission out there. That's where uh, our mobs come from. So... My mother was my mother's grandmother. My mother was part of the stolen generation, and that's how they end up, you know, being up near the Gippsland Way. Um, so I think that's they've moved back there. Mum's been closer to home, and you know, finding out more around family because we didn't really, you know, um, have a lot to do with that. So yeah, it's it's been a nice, interesting journey um, just to find out uh, all that. We're also um, second cousins with Archie Roach as well. Um, oh, wow. So we had a good connection there. Yeah. So what made you pack up and move? Why are you where you are? Uh, interesting. Um, so I sort of had two jobs in play. So I had a, a, a lecturer that taught me back in southwest Victoria and she had the opportunity to come up here and she just seen the need um, and she was a, such a big mentor for me. Um, I nearly pulled out a few times and she's like, no, we need more Indigenous people out there in the workforce. I'm just going to get you through. Um, became really good friends. And she's like, yep, we really need an Indigenous lecture up here. Come and give it a go. And I just thought, if I don't make the move now, give my boys a good experience of a different life. Um, I was never, ever going to do it. So just bit the bullet and did it. Yeah, good on you. Where did your passion for community services come from in the first place? Yeah, so um, from previous life experiences, um, sort of went down a path of uh, family and domestic violence um, and 
just the help and support that I received from so many different services and people just really inspired me to step into that same field. I could see that was happening a lot in the Indigenous community. Um, so there's a real passion there to help other young women and children out there. I don't know if you're comfortable talking about this, but what did life look like for you about, you know, 15 years ago before you started doing what you're doing now? Very different. Very different, I must say. It was quite dysfunctional. You know, you felt like you're walking around on eggshells a lot of the time. Um, just I wasn't who I was anymore as well, too, I suppose. There was a bit of a path of, you know, alcohol usage and all that sort of stuff. So once I finally got my head out of that cloud and opened up, it was just like, yeah, and discovering yourself again is a, as a whole new person just led me to the path. It's it's a path that, you know, I don't regret because it has made me who I am today. And and who is that? Do you want to describe that for me? Who, who are you today? <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Um, so I'm just, just a simple Indigenous lady that just wants to have a, has a passion for the, you know, the family violence sector, mental health sector, education. Education is really huge. I push that on my boys a lot. Um, And just seeing other people thrive, even though they're going through struggles or they don't think they can do it. I'm just, yeah, just one of them ones that just want to put my hand up and just maybe mentor or just lead them through a path that they never thought they were ever capable of doing. That's brilliant that you were able to take such a difficult situation and turn it into something that has actually defined you, not because of what you went through, but how you came through it. It is. It's, it's, I remember a a kindergarten teacher when I was not too well, she goes, how old are you, Tanya? And I'm like, oh, you know, just mid thirties, because she's still young yet. You still have a whole life to go through. That also inspired me. She was like, yeah, damn, she's right. She's right. There's so much more to look forward to in life. Yeah. So in 2019, you were named Victorian Curry Student of the Year. What did that mean to you? Oh, that meant heaps. That really meant heaps. That was, you know, after going through that journey um, of the past and it was just such an inspiration that I could show that my kids that, yeah, okay, mum has been in a rut look where she's got to now um and and the other indigenous um community out there it sort of really did put a earmark on what you can achieve um with other indigenous people and i know the numbers back at the tafe um that i went to tripled after i won that award so that was amazing to see so many get into the education sector after that where were you when you found out that um you got the student of the year award i think i was picking the kids up from school <laughs> and and had a phone call and it was yeah wow <laughs> i hope like, you pulled Mum. over and had a little moment <laughs> i did the kids are like what's going on mum like oh my goodness i've just won this um yeah so <laughs> That was really, really nice. Yeah. So it did have a big impact on other students since then. Um, yeah. How do you do? You hear from those students much? How, how do you, or do they have you? Have they written to you or contacted you? Do you do you know what what effect it had on them? No, I do run into a lot of them when I go back home and just go, "Hey, sis, how are you going?" And you know, they've always just said that you've just been an inspiration as well. Um, I did work as a paralegal for. Um, the Aboriginal Family Violence Legal Service at one stage too. So 
just to see them women um, at that point in their life and to see them a year later absolutely come through the other side, just, yeah, just me inspiring hope as well to know that they've made such a good change for themselves and their children as well. What about your impact as a lecturer in Alice Springs? Um, how do First Nations students respond when they see you taking their class or leading their class? Oh, I see engagement straight away. Um, and I get ones that tell me, tell me that. And I know when I, the first time I did lecture up here, um, the lecturer that brought me up here, she goes, you can just see straight away with these Indigenous students, they're so gravitated towards you straight away. Um, so I think it makes them feel really comfortable. You know, we all sort of tend to get each other and look, I learn from their culture because their culture is a lot different from mine. And it's a really good system of just, you know, getting to know each other really well and not feeling shame. That's another big one as well. And we can relate to each other in all different senses. And that's going back with, um, you know, me telling part of my story. Um, do you think it helps with retention as well? Like, do you think that people, when they can see you, you're leading the class, that there's there's a feeling of, I'm going to stick this out? I do. Um, and I do a lot more behind the scenes as well. I set up like times where we can meet to help them get them through stuff, um, get them through their assessments. Uh, role plays I do a lot differently. I base it around how they are working out there in the field. We What we do is we all have a practical component where we do direct observations, where we've got to do role plays. Uh, it could be, you know, a bit of counselling and, and all that sort of stuff. So I've just gone, okay, I'm not using what's on the assessment. I'm just going to mix it up here. So they're very quiet and shame of themselves. It's like, it's okay. How about you use what you use out in the field? So, for example, I had one young lad and he was really, really quiet. There was colleagues that were in my class. I said, you do what you would do when you're speaking to the youth out there. Next minute, they're talking in language, how they would with the youth out there, where I've got another colleague there relating what they're saying. And it just brings them straight out of their shell straight away and a lot of them know it. They've got it all in it. That's why they're working in the field. Um, so bringing that out in, in an education setting going, see, you know your stuff. What was it like moving to Alice in the first place? I mean, it, it would have been a huge change. It was. As you're driving up through the, up the highway... Um, you enter what they call the rocks right around. Um, there's a big gap where you drive straight into Alice. And I gave my blessings to the ancestors up here as I drove through. That's just something we do. You just feel straight away that I was very welcomed and the students have shown me that as well too. So just lovely people. So you feel a real sense of belonging in Alice? I do, yes. Yeah. And my boys do as well. Um, they've had challenges in the past as well, um, you know, with being Indigenous and not living in a town, we were sort of normally the only Indigenous people. So they really struggled, me and my siblings struggled growing up with that. Um, so to have that flip on the other side where you're surrounded all the time by Indigenous people just, yeah, really makes you feel really humble. How do you inspire other First Nations students, what do you say to them when you're talking to students and 
um, trying to either inspire them in terms of what comes next or um, keep them enrolled and, uh, and continuing with their studies? Firstly, I touch base with them all the time. So it's I set up like a group email. How are you going? How are you tracking? Um, send notifications out around classes if you missed it. All right, let's get in. Let's finish off what you're doing last time. Get your role plays done. That engagement all the time. Um, I think if you disengage from them, you know, over after a month, they tend to sort of just disappear and drop out. It, you know, it is very exhausting to track people all the time, but um, if you've got a structured way of doing it, um, it works really well. And setting up specific group time. So I will set like an afternoon aside. All right, anyone needs to come in and get stuff done. If you're not unsure around questions, give me a bell or come in and we'll discuss it and we'll you know, all nutted out as a group. I feel that works really well um, because they learn off each other. Whether they're Indigenous or not Indigenous, yeah. they're both learning from each other. It's great. And they both ask each other's questions. And that group conversation um, just really embeds more knowledge into everyone in the classroom. I think also me telling my story as well, they just go, oh, wow. So she just hasn't, you know, gone through education all her life and this is where she at I had to work really hard to get where I got um and through different mental health issues and everything else that happens when you do go through a family violence situation it's not just a six month thing it mine went on for about three or four years through a court process so just telling my story um and I also have been you know over used alcohol and stuff but I have pulled See what you can do through education. You can better your pathways no matter how old you are. I feel that really hits hits a lot of the students. Actually, it's a shock to me to get to where I am. Like 15, 20 years ago, I would have never thought I would ever be doing this role ever in your life. You know, to come from a dairy farm background and bookkeeping background to community service and then lecturing is a real change. But I think just as you go through life um, and allowing to take chances, give chances a go as they are, as arise. I find it extraordinary given all of the things that you've been through personally, Tanya, that you're able to give of yourself to others in a space that I'm sure would be quite triggering uh, when you see time and time again um, what is happening to women in our country. Uh, not just in Indigenous communities, but all over the place. Um, how do you how do you create enough distance so that you can be giving of yourself in that space and not continue to perpetuate the trauma of what you personally went through? Yeah, that's really good because self care is really really important. So I've got to I know when I'm starting to feel overwhelmed by it all. So I've got to acknowledge to myself to go, okay, I can't deal with these situations at, you know, certain times. And being open and honest with the students at times, um, as well with, okay, 
this is actually triggering me. So I'm just going to step back for a week or two and I just need to concentrate on myself. Um, and they just, they do, they give me the space that I need. I think anyone in the community service sector who is going through education, they're there for a reason. They're, they're all experiencing stuff in the past. So just everyone acknowledging where everyone's at and just giving someone just that little bit of space. Um, but personally yourself, I, I, I can feel it and I can acknowledge when I do. And yeah, I'm very upfront and honest with my students around that and anyone else I do meet. And I, I imagine that's hugely empowering for them too, to see you model how to protect yourself and how to sustainably provide that support in a way that isn't re-traumatising or per perpetuating trauma for the individuals providing support, regardless of the backgrounds that they've come from. So, yeah, I, I imagine that's cr a critical part of their learning. Yeah, yeah, I never thought of it like that, but that's right. I think no matter you know, who you are and where you are at in your life, there's things that's always going to come up from somewhere and just, you know, hit you from something that's happened. Um, and firstly, yeah, just acknowledging that and going, yep, okay, I need some time. And there's plenty of times with students, especially with sorry business and stuff, and I will, you know, leave them a good month. And if they haven't engaged, then I will touch base, you know, or with their bosses if they're in the workplace and go how are they going and just you know letting them sort of re-enter in when they're when they're comfortable because you're not going to get them with their headspace in the right space with education and in the workforce as well if if that's not acknowledged So one of the Closing the Gap targets we're talking about today is to see an increase in Indigenous students completing tertiary qualifications. Is this on track and what do you think is holding us back from getting there? Oh, it's definitely not on track, especially here. Very low LLN skills, so literacy and numeracy skills. You know, the family situation and, and having getting kids engaged in school in a positive manner, having support and mentoring, uh, there is... I got a colleague of mine, she runs what they call the Children's University. Um, so she has a program set up. So it's an early intervention to get children in and finding out their strengths and their passions right when they're young and utilising that. So they will have, um, for example, Bunnings might put on workshops for these young kids and they earn points and they get to graduate after they reach so many points. It's such a brilliant um, scheme and there's only one university in each state that does that. So if we could see more little programs like that, that would be fantastic. You know, just it's not about the overall picture on education. I think finding their skills and their passion quite early is a good start for a good drive. Um, and then, you know, like once they sort of get into year 10, they might start to drop off and I'm not sure whether they believe in themselves or think that, you know, they are capable of doing it. But where they hear is the only one, it's called Aspire, and they go out on camps and they get mentored by different lecturers and, you know, they get to have a feel to go into the uni university and experience the university life, you know, well before they finish um 
higher education. So I think having some programs like that is is a real good start. So how do you think we can help more Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people complete a Cert 3 or above? How do we get and retain those people? You've spoken to some programs that help engage people where their passion is early on in life. Uh, How do we help see them through an entire process to get the qualification? I really think um, knowledge out there around what there is. Um, As a lecturer, I'd love to get out into the workforce more, knowing the different pathways, you know, like just because you're, you know, it might be you love football or something like that. There's so many different areas they can engage in and knowing that you, you could be, you know, a physio or you could do this or knowing all the different um, structured pathways into different areas, um, the knowledge up here is not really great. And I think especially here a lot are, are remote. I'd like to see a lot more training in the remote communities as well. They're very limited with choices that they've got. I think support from workers, from managers as well, um, linking into traineeships, apprenticeships, all that sort of stuff as well. So whether they, you know, even the managers know a lot as well. So so it's those pathways, career pathways that are visible, that are helping people realise what, what it is that that they will see that will help them have a, have some kind of continuity beyond whatever learning that they're doing. Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, like mentoring, like there's only one of me, so I can only handle so much when you've got, you know, like a hundred students. Yeah, how do you juggle all of that? Because mentoring is exhausting. Like it's it's a it's a huge load in addition to your existing workload. How do you manage giving people time? I think that just is part of the job, um, the passion around it. I had that and growing up in community as well um so I've also been a a chairperson for the local indigenous health center back at home and I'd have community members come to me all the time whether it was like 10 o'clock at night you know or weekends it never stops so I think it's just something that has always been a passion is just always being there for your mob just comes naturally I suppose oh that's awesome The other closing the gap target that we're talking about is to increase the proportion of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander youth who are in employment, education or training to 67%. How do you think that's going in Alice Springs itself? There could be a lot more done. There needs to be a lot more education with the workforce. There's a lot that don't have certificates and I think that's a big, big barrier Um, and I'm, I'm not sure whether they think they are good enough or capable enough. I think there needs to be more around the push of going, you are capable. You know, we, we do do things a little bit differently up here. So, you know, we, we're not setting people up to fail. We want to really get them through. I think when I've looked at the statistics up here, we're sitting around 55% um, in full-time employment. There is a lot of part-time jobs as well. So I think having the flexibility obviously with kinship structures and taking on other family members, children and the workforce, acknowledging sometimes Indigenous people do have these different structures in place and, you know, sorry business. Sometimes people need to be off for one or two weeks for sorry business Um, and knowing that they're going to have a full-time job to come back to or a part-time job. Also, transport can be a big 
issue as well. So if they are out from a little bit remote, having the resources to be able to come in and do that, there is lots of factors that really, really do need to be sort of put into play with getting more in. I think really the early education with the youth as well, as, as we realise there is a lot of family violence here in Alice and kids are really sort of put back right from the, from the get-go really with, you know, having the education around that and their skills and the strengths around all that. So it's a really challenging one. If you had the, the power, the wherewithal to change maybe three things uh, to help us close the gap in a place like Alice Springs, which is a community that is dear to your heart and important to you and your boys, what would you do? Yeah, it's, oh, it's tough. I think the first one is to address family violence and education out in the community around that. I, I understand there's a lot of intergenerational trauma from what's happened in the past, but with women, um, education and reaching out for support and not feeling shamed around that, um, I think is one first step. Education around pathways, I think too, of education of all sorts, especially even getting these in to do, so vetting schools. So I do vetting schools. So I'm doing um, year 10 and 11 students, reaching out and getting them to do that that, that way. Um, I've also got a cohort that I do at Ayers Rock. So I do that via Zoom um, and then just travel down. So them being able to have access to internet and a meeting place to be able to conduct um, different training needs. What do you wish non-Indigenous Australians knew about the work that you do, about your life experience, and how can non-Indigenous Australians better support and understand what is happening for First Nations people in our country? Being with them, understanding them, asking questions um, as well. I think some non-Indigenous people get, they might whether it's because they feel silly or shamed and um, don't want to ask questions because they think offending them, but a lot of Indigenous people, like sitting around and having a yarn, um, that brings a really good rapport and I see, you know, other lecturers here because they are dealing with, you know, First Nation students all the time. Having that, and it's hard because you're only one lecturer, but, you know, giving that more one-on-one -on -one time as you need it and be able then to tell their own personal story and help them through their personal space as well. I know that's sometimes that's not part of your job, but with ones that do do that, it really, really enables First Nation students to really thrive and have a real good experience of education. And I suppose the workforce as well, you know, as I said, acknowledging when there is times when staff do need to have time out due to, you know, the commitments they have with sorry business or a kidship structure or something like that. Um, I think that's the biggest thing is just walking us alongside each other and being respectful of each other. Yeah, hear, hear. Well, I've really enjoyed having a yarn with you, Tanya McDonald. And um, you mentioned earlier that uh, you have a background in dairy farming and um, 
it's a it's an interesting thing because um, my dad grew up on a dairy farm. He grew up on a on a share farm uh, in Yumundi, and uh, and so when I think that he then became the prime minister of Australia. Uh, he moved away from that background and in, into Canberra to make a difference and that he was able to deliver a long overdue apology to members of the Australian generation of which your grandmother was one. Um, I think about that as a foundation and all of the places that you can go thereafter and I see what you've accomplished and what he's accomplished. I think you're both magnificent people and we have a promising future. So thank you very much for your time. Yeah, no, thank you and thank you for that apology, Kevin, because that touched so many Indigenous people um, and it was a really good step to the right direction. So, yeah, thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for being here. And there's still a lot to do and you're doing a lot of that. So thank you very much. No worries. If you're affected by domestic violence and need help, you can always call 000 or call 1800RESPECT. That is 1800 737 732, available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. This podcast was recorded at River City Studios in Tenerife, Mianjin, Brisbane, for the National Apology Foundation. My name is Jessica Rudd. Thanks for listening.